Reading 365, Bible study, December the 1st. Father God, genuine your love concerns us. Thank you, Father, for loving us and going with us. May your presence be established. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we command all sickness and disease to get out in Jesus' name. No longer will you bother God's people. No one longer will you infiltrate the body of Christ. We command you, sickness, to leave now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Satan is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen and amen. Reading of Daniel chapter 8. During the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, saw another vision, vision following the one that had already appeared to me. In this vision, I was at the fortress of Susa in the providence of Elam, standing beside Ulai River. As I looked up, I saw a, man, a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. One of the horns was longer than the other, even though it had grown later than the other one. The ram butted everything out of its way to the west, to the north, and to the south, and no one can stand against him or help his victims. He did as he pleased and became very great. While I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that he didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes, headed toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river. Rushing at him in a rage, the goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both his horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him. No one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. The goat became very powerful, but as the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. In the large horn's place grew four prominent horns, pointing in the four directions of the earth. Then from one of the prominent horns came a small horn whose power grew very great. It extended towards the south and the east and towards the glorious land of Israel. Its power reached to the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. It even challenged the commander of heaven's army by canceling the daily sacrifice offered to him and by destroying his temple. The army of heaven was restrained from responding to this rebellion, so the daily sacrifice was halted and truth was overthrown. The horn succeeded in everything it did. Then I heard two holy ones talking to each other. One of them said, How long will the events of this vision last? How long will the rebellion that caused desecration stop the daily sacrifices? How long will the temple and heaven's armies be trampled on? The other replied, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the temple will be made right again. As I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision, someone who looked like a man stood in front of me, and I heard a human voice calling out from the Ulai River, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of this vision. As Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the times of the end. 
while he was speaking, I fainted and laid there with my face to the ground. But Gabriel aroused me with a touch and helped me to my feet. Then he said, I'm here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. The two-horned ram represents the king of Median Persia. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. The four prominent horns that replace one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms, but none as great as the first. At the end of the rule, when their sins is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many without warning. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle, but he will be broken, though not by human power. This vision about the 2300 evenings and morning is true, but none of these things will happen for a long time. So keep this vision a secret. Then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterwards, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the visions and could not understand it. Amen. Let me go ahead and read some of the commentaries. It says, uh, The precision of Daniel's prophecy had caused many to believe it was written after the events took place. But there is good evidence that it was written before. There will always be arguments casting doubt on what God has said and done. But sometimes when we start with faith, everything makes a lot more sense. Daniel gives us many reasons to have faith in God's activity then and now. Amen. Yes, what I see is what happened exactly. You know, the... The sacrifices stopped, the temple was destroyed, and all these things came to pass. Amen. So we're over here in the latter part of history, in the latter ends, in the end times. A lot of this history has, I guess, passed through already. Reading from the Recovery Bible, it says, Although... Not the most prominent figure in his vision of the future. Alexander the Great, the first king of the Greek Empire, presents an important lesson to those in recovery. While oppressors may seem to have great power and be invisible, God is ultimately in control of their faith. There is no one in authority who has been put there by God. There was no one in authority who has not been put there by God. When God deems the time right, he will be, de he will be delivered and our persecutors will be judged. Amen. And the word recovery is that we be, we be in the image of Jesus Christ. We've been recovered from sickness, disease, sin, and death. We have been recovered. Amen. We can, we can fully be established in the fullness of the blessing. 
as we praise him and, and, and act in love and believe in love. Amen. This prophetic description of the domination of the Jewish people and the Jerusalem temple by the Greek king Antiochus IV Epiphanes carries with it an important point for recovery. Antiochus was allowed to get away with this, his atrocities for a period of time, but not indefinitely. The days of his abuse were numbered and the temple worship would begin again. God is aware of the above abuse we suffer and he has set a limit on the amount of pain we will have to endure. In recovery and reinstating our, our holiness, we can pray to God for comfort and guidance asking for help to get through our anguish until we are set free. And that is by praising and worshiping and thanking him and giving him the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Now a reading for the New Testament, John chapter 2. Let's see what... Uh, in John chapter 2, some people think that, that worldliness is defined by what we do. The people we associate with, the places we go, the activities we enjoy, but worldliness can be hidden eternally because it begins in the heart. Three attitudes can help us identify it. First, craving for physical pleasure. Preoccupation with gratifying physical desires. Second, craving for everything we see, coveting and accumulating things, bowing to the God of materialism. And third, pride in our own achievements and possessions, obsession with one's status or importance. When the serpent tempted Eve, Genesis 3, 6, he tempted her in those areas. Also, when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, these were his three areas of attack. By contrast, God values self-control generosity, and humble service. We may avoid worldly pleasures in our activities while still desiring them in our hearts. Conversely, we can love sinners and spend time with them like Jesus did while maintaining a commitment to the values of God's kingdom. What are, 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 what are our desiring in our hearts? What are we desiring? We ask God to help us to see the emptiness of worldly pleasures. Amen and amen. Here's an article that before I read 2 John, uh, 1 John chapter 2 is, the New Testament writers were convinced in the reality of evil and the dangers of the spiritual world. So they took Satan seriously as a real threat. The devil not only inhibits the works of God's people, but he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. As the God of this world, the devil can blind the minds of unbelievers. So the entire unbelieving world is subject to the power of sin and the devil. Christians are to stand firm and resist the devil. They are to pray, praise Jesus for God's deliverance and use the armor that God provides in their defense. By the word of God, they, are, they can overcome the evil one. Believers who walk with Christ are secure because the cross has broken the devil's power and the Lord protects them. They also know that the Holy Spirit within them is greater than the devil. Believers need to be wary of the devil and protect themselves from his power. 
but they do not need to live in fear. The power of the devil is no match for the power of God. In the New Testament, the Christian's life is not centered on spiritual warfare, but on joyful life of obedience of the Spirit, giving glory and honor to God, the Creator of heaven and earth. Amen and amen. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, the reading of John chapter 2. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith. Because you know Christ who existed from the beginning, I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your heart and you have won your battle with the evil one. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. They are not from the Father, but are from the, this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many as such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they were never really belong with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us when they left. It proves that they did not belong with us. But you are not like that, for the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I am writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. 
And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an Antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father and in the fellowship we enjoy the eternal life. He promised us. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true and is not a lie. So just as he teaches is true, it is not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. Amen. Commentary on chapter 2. Continue. It says, How can we be sure we belong to Christ, our assurance is validated by our continuing desire to obey God's will for us. Those who claim to be saved but continue to disobey God prove that they are liars. We cannot make progress in recovery unless we are willing to submit to God's program for godly living. That means continuing our personal inventory, promptly admitting our wrongs to others, and confessing our sins to God as we learn to love God more and more. Our actions will show it. Another distinctive mark of our fate is loving others. Hatred to others is a sure sign that recovery has not yet begun. Light and darkness cannot exist in the same heart. The absence of love will keep us in the dark and prove a severe hindrance of, to our progress in recovery. Showing love to others is never a sign of weakness. It is evidence of emotional strength. The love God gives us provides the energy we need to approach those we have harmed and those who have harmed us and to make amends when possible. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God and relying on the Holy Spirit within us will guard us from being deceived by false doctrines. The quest for new sophisticated solutions to the consequences of sin and despair only leads to New kinds of enslavement to cultive religion, substance abuse, or codependency. True Christian faith gives us the only perspective on ourselves and the world that can lead to true freedom from enslavement of sin. For only the Christian faith asserts that though we are sinful, Jesus took upon himself the penalty of our sins. Many of us struggle with shame. John tells us that as we live in Christ, trusting him for forgiveness and walking with him consistently, we will have no reason to be ashamed when Christ returns. We can rest assured we are loved and acceptable because God himself has made us his children. As his children, we long to be with him and to be like him. The ultimate step in recovery is for this longing to be fulfilled. In the meantime, the knowledge that Jesus is coming again provides powerful motivation to live a godly life and to know God better through prayer 
and meditation and praise and worship on his word. Amen and amen. Now, now the, the recovery principle in devotional is forgiveness. A lot of people have a hard time forgiving family members. So we need to, to figure out a way to get around it. One of the ways is you say, I thank you, God. I, am, I can't forgive. Tell them the truth. I thank you, God. I can't forgive. I thank you, God. Kind of crazy, huh? At times, we may feel as we are the worst sinners on earth. We just seem to keep doing the same bad things over and over. We feel guilty. Can, can God just wink at our sins and pretend that everything is all right? How can he repeatedly forgive us for committing the same wrongs? The Apostle John said, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. God takes sin very seriously. As a righteous judge, he can't just ignore sin and act if it doesn't matter. But he forgives us completely and repeatedly. The words used here are legal terms. Jesus is our advocate, our defense attorney in a court of law, who intercedes for us, the lawbreakers. But he is not only the defense attorney, he is also the sacrifice that atones for our sins. This means that Jesus' death had been accepted by the court as admissible payment to all of our sins. We are all guilty. The sentence is death, but our sentence has already been paid by Jesus. When we bring our sins to Jesus, he goes back to the judge, his father on our behalf, reminding him that our sentence has already been paid. Amen and amen. So we worship and give him praise and thanksgiving, the Lord God in heaven and earth. Amen and amen. Praise God. Glory be to God. Okay, now a reading and a prayer from the Psalms. Psalms 120. Pray, we pray for peace in the places around the world where there is suffering. Heavenly Father, we pray, Father in heaven, for peace to take place in the hearts and the minds and the physical places of all the Christians around the world who are experiencing any turmoil. Lord, we just praise you that you cover them with your glory and your honor and protection, Lord. Love on them, supply them, Lord, and keep them safe and keep them in your love and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Psalm 120. I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him and he answered my prayer. Rescue me, O Lord, from liars and from all deceitful people. O deceptive tongue, what will God do to you? How will he increase your punishment? You will be pierced with sharp arrows and burned with glowing coals. How I suffered in far off Meshesh. It pains me to live in distant Kedar. I am tired of living among the people who hate peace. I search for peace, but when I speak of peace, they want war. Proverbs 28, 25, and 26. Greed causes fighting. Trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. 
Those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Amen and amen. Glory be to God in the highest. Thank you so much for coming to today's study. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift up his cause, and give you peace and establish you in every wish way. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to today's Bible study, 365 for December the 2nd. We'll be reading Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you. We thank you for your written word, Lord, that we may run on your word. That's why we read it, Lord, that we may run on the prophesied word. And Lord, and have your blessings and your honor and your glory by doing your works, Lord. Thank you for involving us in salvation and, and choosing us from the foundations of the earth, Lord. We are your children. Thank you for nurturing us spiritually, physically, mentally, financially, socially, adventurously. Thank you for this great love you have for us. And we appreciate it. Appreciate your son, Jesus Christ, and we appreciate our Holy Spirit that continues, guides us, talks to us, tells us he loves us, and keeps us company. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that keeps us company. We are no longer lonely. Hallelujah. We left our loneliness on the cross. And we thank you for fellowship. In Jesus' mighty name, have your way, Lord. Amen and amen. Chapter 9 of Daniel. Now, Daniel knew how to pray. This is the commentary from the uh, New Living Testament. It says, Daniel knew how to pray. As he prayed, he fasted, confessed his sins, and pleaded that God would reveal his will. He prayed with complete candor and surrender to God and with complete openness to what God was saying to him. When we pray, do we speak openly to God? Let us examine our attitudes and we talk to God with, let's talk to God with openness like a friend and just honestly laying the things down on the table with honesty and vulnerability. God appreciates frankness more than flattery. And all our prayers are nothing but flattery. Talk to God with, let's talk to God with open-mindedness, vulnerability, and honesty, and be ready for God's reply. Be ready for God's supply of reply. The reason I say supply it's the same thing. <laughs> Lord, the supply for it is not here yet, but it will come if we should have it. It will surely come in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, on chapter 9, this is from the Recovery Bible. It says, Daniel makes it clear that victims of dysfunctional systems need recovery too because of his nation's sins. Daniel and other innocent bystanders had been forced into captivity, but Daniel's innocence did not stop him from fasting and pleading to God for release. We all suffer from the injustice of others. We don't enjoy being victimized. Our pain is real, and we need real healing. Crying out to God for comfort and recovery is the best thing we can do to experience healing. 
He hears our cry, our very cry. Daniel is incredibly powerful. Daniel says that the people of Israel had suffered all the curses that God had promised to send because of their disobedience. Yet even after all this suffering, the people still wouldn't follow God. Had the Israelites been honest, they could have admitted their first mistake and turned from their sins immediately, avoiding much of the severe punishment God had prepared for them. When we first feel the harmful effects of our addictions, we need to be honest with ourselves and with God and ask Him to help us. Amen. Although Daniel was worried about his people and nation, God had a plan for their recovery. The road would not be easy, and Israel would have many years of pain ahead, but God's time to judge his enemies would come. God hasn't abandoned us in our time of need. He is there waiting to work his plan for our lives. We are to seek and obey God, trusting in his timing for our complete recovery. Amen and amen. Beautiful, beautiful. Now the reading of Daniel chapter 9. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylons. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Wow. O Lord, you are great and awesome, God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princesses and ancestors to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all, all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far. Wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you, O Lord, we and our kings, princes, and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we had reveled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel had disobeyed your instructions and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God, turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. 
Therefore the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all these things, for we did not obey him. O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mocked Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. O our God, O our God, hear your servant prayer. Listen as I plead for your own sake, Lord. Smile again on your desolated sanctuary. O my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, this city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, Listen and act for your own sake. Do not delay, O oh my God, for your people and your city bear your name. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earliest visions, came swiftly to me in the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I am here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. A period of seventy set of seven, a period of seventy sets of seven, has been decreed for your people and your holy city. To finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sins, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand, seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defense despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city of the temple. The end will come with a flood and war, and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. 
and as a climax to all his suffering deeds, and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until that faith decreed for the defiler is finally poured out on him. Wow. Prophesying that it's going to be poured out on Jesus Christ. Chapter 10. In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned even events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All the time I had eaten not, no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrance lotions until those three weeks had passed. On April 23rd, and I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem, his face flashed like lightning, and his eyes flamed like torches. His army and fear shone, his arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel, don't be afraid. Since the first day you began to, to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I had come in answer to your request, prayer, but for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of the archangels came to help me. But for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. For well, this vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was speaking to me, I looked down on the ground, unable to say a word. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing in front of me, I am filled with anguish because of the vision I have seen. My Lord and I am very weak. How can someone like me, your servant, talk to you? My Lord, my strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. 
Then the one who broke, who looked like a man touched me again, and I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. Peace be encouraged by, be strong. Be encouraged and be strong. As he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt strong and said to him, Please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. He replied, Do you know why I have come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit of prince of the kingdom of Persia, and after that the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come Massachusetts. Meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one helps me against the spirit prince except Michael, your spirit prince. I have been standing besides Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. What I really like about this is the, uh, it says, says, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say. Amen. You know, one of the things that we can say to ourselves in the mirror, say, Fernando, you are very precious to God. Listen carefully to what he has to say. So be strong, Fernando. Don't be afraid, for you are very precious to God. Peace to you, Fernando. Be encouraged. Be strong, Fernando. Amen. I'm speaking through prophecy through the Lord. Don't be afraid, Fernando. You are very precious to God. Peace, Fernando. Be encouraged. Be strong. And I said, I'm going to speak it to you. Family of God, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully what the Lord is saying to you. Remember, again, don't be afraid, family, for you are very precious to God. Peace unto you. Be encouraged. Be strong. As I speak these words to you, suddenly you feel stronger. And you say to the Lord, Lord, speak through me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. Amen. Praise God for his word. And now for reading of John. Chapter 1, excuse me. 1 John chapter 2, 18 to chapter 3, verse 6. And the commentary says, these Christians had heard the good news, very likely from John himself. They knew that Christ was God's son, that he died for their sins and was raised to give them new life, and that he would return and establish his kingdom in his fullness. But some of the believers who were in danger of succumbing to false arguments, John encouraged them to hold on to the Christian truth they heard at the beginning of their walk in Christ. It is important to grow in our knowledge of the Lord to deepen our understanding through careful study and to teach these truths to others. But no matter how much we learn, it's always valuable to return to the basic truth about Christ Jesus will always be God's Son 
and his sacrifices for our sins is permanent. No truth will ever contradict these teachings in the Bible. When you find yourself confused about some aspect of faith or you feel sidetracked on minor issues, turn your focus back to Christ. He, the central figure of the Bible, and focusing on him will help us clarify and prioritize everything in life. Amen and amen. That was the commentary on that. And now for the commentary on the new, on the recovery Bible on chapter 2. Talking about forgiveness. At times, in 1 John 2, 1 through 6 says, we may feel as we are the worst sinners on earth. We just seem to keep doing the same bad things over and over. We feel guilty. Can God just wink at our sins and pretend that everything is all right? How can he repeatedly forgive us for committing the same wrongs? The Apostle John said, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that alone that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. God takes sin very seriously. As a righteous judge, he can't just ignore sin and act as if it doesn't matter. But he forgives us completely and repeatedly. The words used here are legal terms. Jesus is our advocate. Our defense attorney in a court of law who intercedes for us, the lawbreakers, but but he is not only the defense attorney, he is also the sacrifice that atones for our sins. This means that Jesus' death has been accepted by the court as admissible payment for all our sins. We are all guilty. The sentence is death. But our sentence has already been paid by Jesus. When we bring our sins to Jesus, he, gives, he goes back to the judge, his father on our behalf, reminding him that our sins has already been paid and purged. Beautiful, beautiful readings. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God and relying on the Holy Spirit within us will guard us from being deceived by false doctrines. The quest for new sophisticated solutions to the consequences of sin and despair only leads to new kinds of enslavements of cultic religions, substance abuse, or codependency. True Christian faith gives us the only perspective on ourselves and the world that can lead to true freedom from enslavement to sin. For only the Christian faith asserts that though we are sinful, Jesus took upon himself the penalty of our sin. Glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Amen. Many of us struggle with shame. John tells us that as we live in Christ, trusting him or forgiveness and walking with him consistently, we will have no reason to be ashamed when Christ returns. 
we can rest assured that we are loved and acceptable because God himself has made us his children. As his children, we long to be with him and to be like him. The ultimate step in recovery is for this longing to be fulfilled. In the in the mean, mean, meantime, the knowledge that Jesus is coming again provides powerful motivation to live a godly life and to know God better through prayer and meditation on his word. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. And now for the reading of chapter 2. Dear children, verse 18 to Chapter 3, verse 6. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard the, that the Antichrist is coming, and it's already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved they did not belong to us. But you are not like that, for the Holy One has given you His Spirit. And all of you know the truth. So I, John, am writing to you, not because you know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an Antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son and makes Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And, and in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life He promised us. I am, I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit, and He lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what He teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as He has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when He returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us to his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for he will, we will see him as he already is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary for for the law of God. Again, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. 
And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Pray in the Psalms. Commit your whole self to God's care, confident in his careful watch. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your care. Thank you for the care of the community and providing for them, Lord God. Lord, thank you for your honor, your love, and your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Reading Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8. I look to the mountains. Does my help come from the there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as you protect as a protective shade. The Lord stands before you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, but both now and forevermore. The Lord is keeping watch over us as we come and go, both now and forever. Amen. Proverbs 28, 27 to 28. Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be scattered. When the wicked take charge, people go in hiding. When the wicked go in charge, they meet disaster, the godly rush, and go high. Amen. Let me read that again. When the wicked take charge, people go into hiding. When the wicked meet disaster, the godly flourishes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, Lord. Thank you for bringing it home into our minds, our consciousness, that it may have fruit, Lord, that it may grow like a tree. All these words we read. Be sanctified, Lord God, in your words. We thank you for this day. Amen. Give them heaven, family. Go in peace. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to today's Bible study for December the 3rd. Let's go ahead and open it with a moment of silence, followed by a prayer. Father God, give us instructions today, marching orders, Lord, a plan to succeed, Lord, awareness of your presence in our lives. Give us the awareness, Lord, of your glory and your honor and what you're doing in people's lives that we may help out, Lord. How can we be a help, Lord? How can we assist in what you're doing, Father? Glorify yourself in these words today, Lord, that we may know you and your plan of action for this day. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And bless the people and the listeners out there, Lord, heavily with your glory and your honor. Today, as it's called today, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Today we're doing a study on uh, this Daniel chapter 11. 
Now, I'm going to read all the commentaries first on chapter 11, and then we'll go ahead and read that, okay? So we're going to try a different method today. The first reading says, Daniel's vision zooms out and encompassed many of the nations surrounding Israel. In fact, Israel seemed to be a bystander throughout much of Daniel's vision. Alexander the Great is the mighty king who would accomplish everything he sets out to do. He conquered most of the Mediterranean and Middle Eastern lands. After his death, the Ptolemies gained control of the southern section of Palestine and the Seleucides took the northern part. Daniel 11, 220 shows the conflict between the Ptolemites and Seleucides over control of Palestine in 300-200 B.C. Why does God give Daniel a vision of what will happen to the surrounding nations? Why not just focus on Israel? God is illustrating his power and authority over all the nations and rulers. He is not just the God of Israel, he is the God of nations. What's more, God was using the nations for his own purpose among his people to refine, cleanse, and purify them. Oftentimes, we can see God working inside his church, but don't see his involvement outside. Yet God's power extends to every pocket of the globe, and he's accomplished his purpose throughout the nations for the good of his church and his world. Well, one thing that I do know is that wherever there's been American influence or anyone that's been uh, a nation that's Christ-centered, Christians have grown in that country and have profit, profited and make great strides in economic sense. That's what I've seen and heard. I've even been to those nations and I have absorbed, observed their products coming in. So the Word of God and God's ability to reach people that are calling on His name. You know, you call on His name, God will move heaven and earth to get to you. I experienced that. Our next reading is from the Recovery Bible. For a lot of us that are in recovery, or you can say you're, you're recovering from sin. You're recovering from your lack of uh, giving God glory through His Son, Jesus Christ. You're recovering from being unbelieving. That God wants our, His Son, Jesus Christ, to be evident in our lives 100%. We surrender to the cross and we look to the cross. It is all about Jesus. If you have a little reservation and keep working on that, it's going to go away. You know, just study more about the blood, what the blood did, what it accomplished. Ask God to give you more instructions in that area. Tell Him the truth. I don't believe Jesus is uh, the God of the Creator of heaven and earth. Tell Him the truth. He can handle it. You know, and and he'll organize your thoughts and your patterns and your teachings where you'll be completely convinced. Nothing missing, nothing broken. All is well in Christ Jesus. Amen. The success of the kings of the south or the king of Egypt would be short-lived. Probably as God's judgment for his pride. If there's anyone God cannot help, it is the proud person who takes the credit for all of his or her success. Isn't that interesting? A lot of I see a lot of people pray and ask God for marriages, for jobs, for 
you know, careers. And then when they get it, they get proud. It's like a, a, a family member that gets love, affection, nutrition, and goes out into the world and then does everything wrong to hurt that family against them. God affects the changes within us. When we believe that we have made progress because of our own efforts, we distance ourselves from God and lose ground in the recovery process. Thanking God for his work in us and giving him the credit he deserves will help us to keep depending on him. Amen. Thanking God for his work in us and giving him the credit he deserves he deserves will help us to keep dependent on him. So that's the point of the matter. We stay dependent and focus in the Lord. Stumbling in recovery or sin can serve to cleanse and strengthen us. We what? Stumbling in recovery and sin can serve to cleanse us and strengthen us. We can look at the times we stumble as the weightlifter looks at weight. If they weren't hard to lift, he wouldn't gain any muscle. At first, we may stumble a lot, but as we struggle, we grow stronger. Eventually, we will be able to resist greater and greater temptations where once we would have fallen. Through these spiritual workouts, we gradually are transformed from weaklings into strong people. And that definitely walks into my mantra that I thank God I'm a misfit. I thank God I am weak. I thank God I missed it. You know, my tenacity, I'm not giving up. I'm going to figure this thing out on how God is operating, how he runs the world. And thanking him for the situation, I get his counsel, his peace, his generating power. It's pride. I surrender. No pride. The pride is booted out of here. In Jesus' name, I thank God I missed the situation, and I try, try, try again. Keep trying, folks. The reason you want to thank God you're in the midst of a sin or in the midst of pride or you missed giving God the glory, that's usually my portion. I missed giving God the credit. You know, when I'm, when I'm to talk in a group of people, I don't touch as much basis on him other than having pride in my faith, having pride in my my accomplishments. But we can see the big difference when a humble person gets up there, gives God all the credit and sits down. And and it's a big difference between the guy who gets up there and try and speaks, you know, with not giving God credit. Amen. That's the way it is. God made the rules. We didn't. Those are the rules. All right, let's move on. We're going to be reading now the chapter of Daniel, starting with verse 2. It's really interesting that verse 1 is in chapter 10. First time I see that in a Bible. Remember that the Daniel 11 starts on verse 2. They leave verse 1 in in chapter 10. Strange, huh? But it has nothing to do with... Um, I mean, it has a lot to do, but I mean, 
the flow of it, I read it, the flow of it, it doesn't uh, flow with the new thought pattern. It says, now then, verse 2, now then, <laughs> I like that, I will reveal the truth to you. Three more Persian kings will reign to be succeeded by a fourth far richer than the other. He will use his wealth to stir up everyone to fight against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will rise to power who will rule with great authority and accomplish everything he sets out to do. But at the height of his power, his kingdom will be broken apart and divided into four parts. It will, it will not be ruled by the king's descendants, nor will the kingdom hold the authority it once had. For his empire will be uprooted and given to others. The king of the south will increase in power, but one of his own officials will become more powerful than he and will rule his kingdom with strength. Some years later, an alliance will be formed between the king of the north and the king of the south. The daughter of the king of the south will be given in marriage to the king of the north to secure the alliance, but she will lose her influence over him, and so will her father. She will be abandoned along with her supporters, but when one of her relatives becomes king of the south, he will raise an army and enter the fortress of the king of the north and defeat him. When he turns to Egypt, he will carry back their idols with him, along with priceless articles of gold and silver. For some years afterwards, he will leave the king of the north alone. Later, the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will soon return to his own land. However, the sons of the king of the north will assemble a mighty army that will advance like a flood and carry the battle as far as the enemy's fortress. Then in a rage, the king of the south will rally against the vast forces assembled by the king of the north and will defeat them. After the, the enemy army is swept away, the king of the south will be filled with pride and will execute many thousands of his enemies, but his success will be short-lived. A few years later, the king of the north will return with a fully equipped army far greater than before. At that time, there will be a general uprising against the king of the south. Violent men among your own people will join them in fulfillment of this vision. But they will not succeed. The king of the north will come and lay siege of, to a fortified city and capture it. The best troops of the south will not be able to stand in the face of the onslaught. The king of the north will march onward unopposed. None will be able to stop him. He will pause in the glorious land of Israel, intent on destroying it. He will make plans to come with the mighties of his entire kingdom and will form an alliance with the king of the south. He will give him a daughter in marriage in order to overthrow the kingdom from within, but his plan will fail. After this, he will turn his attention to the coastland and conquer many cities. But a commander from another land will put an end to his insolence and cause him to retreat in shame. He will take refuge in his own fortresses, but will stumble and fall and be seen no more. His successors will, will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. But after a very brief reign, he will die, though not from ang anger or in battle. The next to come to power will be a despicable man 
who is not in line for royal succession. He will slip in when least expected and take over the kingdom by flattery and intrigue. Before him, great armies will be swept away, including a covenant prince. With deceitful promises, he will make various alliances. He will become strong despite having only a handful of followers. Without warning, he will enter the richest areas of the land. Then he will distribute among his followers the plunder and wealth of the rich, something his predecessors had never done. He will plot the, the overthrow of strongholds, but this will be last for a, only a short while. Then he will stir up his courage and raise a great army against the king of the south. The king of the south will go to battle with a mighty army, but to no avail, for there will be plots against him. His own household will cause his downfall. His army will be swept away, and many will be killed, seeking nothing but each other's harms. These kings will plot against each other at the conference table, attempting to deceive each other. But it will make no difference, for the end will come at the appointed time. The king of the north will then return home with great riches. On the way, he will set himself against the people of the Holy Covenant, doing much damage before continuing his journey. Then, at the appointed time, he will once again invade the south, but this time the result will be different, for warships from the western coastlands will scare him off, and he will withdraw and return home but he will vent his anger against the people of the Holy Covenant and reward those who forsake the covenant. His army will take over the temple fortress, pollute the sanctuary, put a stop to daily sacrifices, and set up the sick, sacrilegious object that causes desecration. He will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will be strong and resist him. But the people who know their God will be strong and will resist him. Wise leaders will give instructions to many, but these teachers will die by fire and sword, or they will be jailed and robbed. During these persecutions, little help will arrive, and many who join them will not be sincere. And some of the wise will fall victims to persecution. In this way, they will re be refined and cleansed, made pure until the time of the end, for the appointed time is still to come. Wow. It's amazing how history is written and how precise it is and how it took, it took place just like God had prophesied through, I guess, through the prophet Daniel. Yeah, because that, that temple stood boarded up for many many years till they unboarded it and they and they cleansed it up and started doing sacrifices to the lord all over again but the point here is that the but the people who know their god through jesus christ we will be strong and resist the enemy through praise and worship through the accomplished power of our lord jesus christ amen and now a reading from 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 4. All right, let's go ahead and read the commentaries about 1 John chapter 3, verses 
7 through 24 in today's reading. Many are afraid that they don't love others as they should. They feel guilty because they think they are not doing enough to show proper love to Christ. Their conscience bothers them. John has these people in mind in this letter. How do we escape the nine accusation of our consciousness? Not by ignoring them or rationalizing our behavior, but by setting our heart on God's love. How do we escape again the nine accusation of our consciousness? Not by ignoring them or rationalizing our behavior, but by setting our heart on God's love. You know, that's an easy statement to say, but how do we do it? I've been at this for 40 years. And the experience I've gotten is, first, two, two things. There was a guy in Australia with one of the biggest millionaires in the area, and he would sit alone for an hour without a Bible, without anything, in the morning, maybe a glass of water, and he would say to himself, how does God run the world? How does God run the world? And the answers will come. And the other, the other part is, how do we access love? So that's the answer to how did God love the world, run the world through love. How do we access? How do we get love? How do we get love? Yeah, I believe it's by our imaginations. It's by this incredible head, brain, God has birthed us. Science says that we're only using 5%, 10%. But when we look at a word, we can write a book with each word with this mind of ours. You can write a book that's called But. You can write a book that in the, in the next, it says By, But By Setting. You can write a book on setting. R, R, Heart. Write a book on, on heart. And millions of books have been written on heart. On God's love, millions and billions of books have been written on God's love. What am I getting at? I'm getting that that through reading 1 John 1 through 5 creates love. I have experienced that. And treasures and health and good rhythm follows love, guys. Everything, that's how God runs the world. In a nutshell, I'm giving you 40 years of trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. 15, 20 minutes a day to change your life. Your obedience, especially when you say it's not working. That's what I said. How can this, how can I lift myself with my bootstraps by reading 1 John 1 through 5? I kept at it anyway because of the source, where the source came from. Okay. I'm telling you right now that I was in debt. Now I am out of debt. I was alone, now I'm married, and we travel all over the place. The other way to get God's love is in the mirror. You talk to yourself. Of course, you tell yourself you love yourself. But the words you, you say, I force myself to act loving, and I will become loving. Say that for 10 minutes. 
I force myself enthusiastically in love, and I will become enthusiastically in love. You say it ten times ten consecutive days, you'll be surprised that you'll be drunk all day long with wine, with spiritual wine, with spiritual love, and you'll have one blast of a time. Everything will be glorious. Everything will be loving. Every horizon. You'll be full of it. <laughs> Amen. Try it. You'll like it. If you come to scoff and it's not work, it's, it's just lack of discipline. You know, make make a choice. Read it for a year. And on top of that, read 1 John 14, 15, 16, and 17 for more love. Just so nothing is missing, nothing is broken. We got all our we got all our bases covered in this project. What is the project? To be more how does God run the world? God runs the world with love. And that's how we and ourselves access it through our imaginations and through the written word. In Jesus' name, be satisfied. Be Pleasant, be pleasant in Jesus' name. That's the objective, to be pleasant. Amen. When we feel guilty, I'll go on, we should remind ourselves that God knows our motives as well as our actions. His voice of assurance, His voice of assurance is stronger than the accusing voice of our conscience. If we are in Christ, he will not condemn us. Romans 8, 1. Hebrews 9, 14 and 15. So if you're living for the Lord, but feeling that you are not good enough, remind yourself that God is greater than your conscience. Yeah, you're going to remind yourself that God is greater than your conscience. That little thought's going to poof like a breath of air. You need to do the work, folks. You need to dig into the Word of God and read it while your subconscious mind is fighting you and saying, it's not working. This is ridiculous. I read it every day. It's repetitive. It's repetitive. You know that First uh, John 1 through 5 mentions God's name about 48 times. Start count, counting all the sibyls, sibyl, all the words that are interesting. you. <laughs> all right. Excuse me on that one. Let's go ahead and uh, read the other commentary, the Recovery Bible. As we take moral inventory of our lives, let's face the essence of sin honestly. It is breaking God's law, doing things our own way rather than God's way. Once we commit our life to God, He gives us new, a new nature that is no longer comfortable with sin. We still may sin, but we no longer make it a practice. We know that Jesus gave His life on the cross for our sins, so now we desire to please Him because we have a new nature. Whereas before, in our sins, codependency, or addictions, we continue with little sense of wrongdoing. Okay? In other words, we den our denial is so strong. Now we know better. In recovery, we constantly affirm that we have God's power to break the old pattern. Amen. And you constantly reaffirm it by me. This is what I do. Uh, thank you, God. I mess, I'm a mess up. You know, when I miss it, I stay connected with God. That's the key, folks. 
All your, all your problems and your sins are just reminders that you need to stay connected with God. If we said yes to the cross, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and gone into the cross, left your body there, your sins and everything, and taken up Jesus, Jesus Christ's righteousness, His love, His Holy Spirit, His sense of well-being, His, His redemptive power, His sanctifying power, and His wisdom to know the difference then we're good to go. All we got to do is keep cleaning the house. We just got to keep cleaning the corners of this house. We know we now know better. In recovery, we constantly affirm that we have God's power to break the old patterns. Amen. Amen. Using Cain and Abel as an example, John underscores the importance of love. Having true love means being willing to make sacrifices for the ones we love. In recovery, the best way to express our love for God is to be willing to make amends for the wrongs we have done to others. Our actions towards them, not just our words, will reveal what's in our hearts. And like I said it once, I'll say it a hundred times, the easiest way to, to for us to start our our actions to be done is by praying ahead of time for 45 days, writing it down in an envelope, the ones people we offended, and then just start praying, seal it, and date it for 45 days and just carry it around with you everywhere you go. And just every time you touch the envelope in your pocket, just start praying for them, pray for them, pray for them. And before you know it, it'll pop. The junk will pop. It'll go out of you into heaven as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering. Woohoo! All the nonsense we've done and we hurt other people, they hurt us, we just start praying for them, start praying for them, and God burns it up, cleans up the slate like it never happened. Take, for instance, a master potter. We take them back to the broken pot, say, here, fix it. The master potter puts his hands on the pot and with his heat, he, 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 he heats up the clay. He heats up the clay and he, and, he, and he mends those cracks with his love. And can you feel it? I feel it in my hand. He mends those cracks with his love. And then he puts back the, the paint in it and stuff. It, it's like it never happened. That broken pot cannot contain water and can, can fill the cups of other people's water. Now it was made for what it was for a container to fill the water and fill other people <clears throat> other people's cups. If you give a cup to one of these little ones, saith the Lord, you will not lose your reward. Amen. That's what we're doing. We have the luxury to listen to this podcast. I have the luxury to to read and the time and the resources because we have given water to others. We have been on that principle as encouraging others in the Word of God, as being demonstrators, failing a lot. Remember, failing is not failure. It's, it's trying to succeed, trying to succeed. And that's the same thing as our prayers when we approach God the first time. We were trying to succeed. We, we're getting it correctly and right. Amen. 
In chapter 3, here we go. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 through 24. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Those who have been born into God's family do not make it a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Amen. You got to forgive, folks. You got to put the, put them on that forty-five day prayer thing and ask God to give you the strength to forgive them. Rape, incense, whatever. Just go ahead and write it down. Murder. Ask God to forgive them. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was right, righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our Christians, brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that pleases him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. Amen and amen. Glory be to the Father in heaven. And let me rephrase that. We pray for others that we will stop sinning with hatred and unforgiveness. That's why we pray for others. Not rocket science, folks. Forgive as we are forgiven. You know, maybe the accusations and the problems came because we had pride in our hearts. And God loves you so much that he caused that sin to break that pride. Maybe that offense had to be that big to break your pride. 
that you were built, we were growing wrongly. So that that giant hurt, that that distraught, or you or you say the worst thing you can think can happen, happen, and you say no, that cannot be God. You cannot accept it. Hello, I'm asking you to accept it. Let it go. That's how much nonsense and twisted pride, evil. God wants to make make us pure and make it to heaven and accept the, his love through the work of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the greatest blessing that we have is the offense. The greatest thing that ever happened to us is to see God's love through an offense. Oh, Fernando, you're out of it. You're really gone, berserk. <laughs> Try it. You'll like it. Pray for the person 45 days and and, lo- and say, Lord, I don't feel like it, but I'm ob- obeying you. I pray for that person to have health, prosperity, and happiness. Amen. And do it for 45 days. Just commit to it. Got nothing to lose. Not going to cost you anything. It's going to clean- cleanse our arteries for one. And we're going to get blessed, guys. New horizons, new avenues, new glories, new power, new strength, new blessings, new energy, new health. What about if that's, they say that one third of the hospitals are full of people that don't forgive others and they they got ailments. Would you believe that? Why are we so stubborn? You know why we're so stubborn? It is the soul that's ironclad. When the soul gets offended, it does not want to let go. You have to go and 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 be kind to your soul and take an offering and, and talk to your soul and, and ask your soul to release it, to be forgiven. I'm telling you, that soul, once it locks in, ironclad soul, so... You want the soul to release and let God's love come in. Let the water of God through the word of God come in and push all the hurts, all the blame, all the unforgiveness out. And let it go because we were meant to, to be free. Hatred and resentments do not belong to us. If we hold on to them, we don't have our arms are, are, are full and we cannot grasp life and satisfaction of life because we're holding on to resentments. We, we're stuck. We got to let go and, and raise our hands and say, yes, yes, Lord Jesus, have it your way. You tell me, well, I did it a thousand times, Fernando. I forgave them. Then why is it still bothering you got to go to the root of the matter and boil it by reading the Word of God. 1 John 1 through 5 daily and John 14, 15, 16, 17 to heat up the clay pot. Heat it up and then just write down your... Some of you have to pray for the person for a year. Just start blessing. What do you got to lose? Just put it down for a year. You got nothing to lose 
It's so many years that you carried it with you anyway. One more year won't make a difference. What if it works? What if you start getting supplies from the east, the west, the north, and the south? Supplies of prosperity, supplies of of strength, supplies of healing, supplies of youthfulness, supplies of honor, supplies of of happiness, prosperity, well-being, supplies of influence, supplies of wisdom, encouragement, talents, adventure, Supplies, 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 folks. We'll let the Father in heaven give us the supply. And the supply we need right now is the supply of obedience. Obey like a soldier. Amen. All right, now reading from the Psalms. In Jesus' name, be established. Psalm 122, verses 1 through 9. We ask God to give our community of believers peace instead of arguments and divisions, and to give his chosen people, Israel, peace with God through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Father, thank you for hearing the word of our mouths today, Lord. We give all the believers peace. Lord, give them joy with you, Lord, a covering of your love. Lord, so they may surrender and stop divisions And Lord, we give your chosen people, Israel, peace, peace with the blood of Christ in their hearts. God, through Jesus Christ, be their Messiah. We we dedicate it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalms 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now here we are standing inside your gate, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage there. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord, as the law requires of Israel. He stands the thrones where judgment is given, for the thrones of the dynasty of David. He stands, here stand the thrones where judgment is given. The throne of the dynasty of David. Excuse me. We pray for the peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. May you have peace. May you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. Amen. Proverbs 29.1 Whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. Whoa. Please, please obey, folks. I am criticizing today because we love you and God is tough love. Whoever stubbornly refuses to change with words, with obedience, will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. In the name of Jesus Christ, go in peace. Be established in the purposes of God. Give them heaven, family. Reflections on Daniel. 
Insight from Daniel's life. When we use the talents and abilities given to us by God, others will notice. In Daniel chapter 1, 17 and 21, King Nebuchadnezzar saw that Daniel and his friends had more insight than any of the king's magicians or enchanters. The wisdom of these young men is what set them apart from other advisors and allowed them to overcome the disastrous events of the past. God supplies us with all what we need to triumph over our past. In Daniel chapter 2, 16 to 22, we are given a model for what to do when we are in trouble. Daniel needed help, so he gathered his godly friends, and they all prayed. After the prayer was answered, Daniel praised God for his blessings, praying with others to overcome our dependencies and thanking God for his help are essential to recovery. It is easy to forget that God is in control of the recovery process and think that we have defeated our addictions on our own. Thanking God for the progress he allows us to accomplish will help us maintain a proper focus on God. In Daniel 6, 6.10, the prophet chose to ignore the king's new law and continue to worship God, who had cared for Daniel throughout his life. Fortunately, prayer doesn't earn the death penalty for most of us. But there can be drawbacks to following God. We can be laughed at, discriminated against, or beaten up by our trust. Are beaten up by people, excuse me, who are threatened by our faith. No matter what oppositions we we face, however, God is still worthy of our trust. Recovery depends on our worshiping Him, despite the consequences. In Daniel chapter 6, verses 19 through 23, God rescues Daniel from what seems a sure death. The lions didn't harm Daniel, just as the fire hadn't touched Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God protects those who obey his will. He is able to save us when no one else can, even if we are in abusive situation with no hope of escape. God is still able to deliver us, we need to continue to trust in Him. Amen. Everyone is guilty of sinning against God, and we all need recovery from the eternal consequences of our sin, death. In Daniel 6, 7, and 9, even the godly prophet Daniel admitted his sins, asked for God's mercy, and let God work in his life. These are the same steps we need to follow as we recover from our powerful dependencies and their consequences. 25 centuries have not changed the way God works in people's lives. Insight from the lives of three of the friends. We all face situations in which we are tempted to do things that are wrong. Sometimes there are consequences for not going along with the crowd. This fact is clearly illustrated in Daniel chapter 3 verses 1 through 30. The penalty for not bowing down to worship the king was death in a blazing furnace. When we stand for what is right and refuse to go along with the crowd, we may suffer consequences, ostracism, ridicule, or physical abuse, to name a few. But we must have the courage to do what is right and resist those who want us to step aside our established boundaries of godly behavior. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 23, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put their fate on the line by not giving in to Nebuchadnezzar's threats. They risked their lives in order to obey what they knew to be God's will for them. To die was better than to live with the guilt and shame of disobeying God. Do we have the faith we need to stand up against our oppressors and follow God? If we do, we will be rewarded. If not, our recovery will fail. The Word of God. Thanks be to God.